please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn to uh, first Romans chapter 4, and not 14, we'll misprint in the bulletin, and then we'll turn to our text in Hebrews 11. Romans 4, we'll begin in verse 13. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Let us hear it. Paul writes, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith. When he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why... His faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now turn with me to Hebrews 11. We'll just read the first three verses together. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. We began looking at this, uh, this passage in Hebrews 11 last week. As we look at uh, verse 3, 
the writer is continuing here to emphasize the nature of faith. He wants, again, he wants those professing believers to hold on to their faith in Christ despite all the bad things that were happening around them in their lives. There were many uh, bad things going on. Uh, Of course, they were suffering persecution that had been going on for some time, and it was only going to continue and get worse. But it's faith in Christ that he's pointing them to all through this book, but certainly still here in chapter 11. Faith in Christ is all that really matters. It's all that mattered to those folks as they were going through those struggles and those threats to their very existence. And for us too, faith in Christ is ultimately all that really matters. Faith in Jesus is the only way for any of us to be brought into a right, reconciled relationship with God, this eternal, unseen God who made all things. Without that relationship with him, nothing is right in our lives. That's what the whole Bible is about. It's about that relationship with the living God, walking with him, coming to know him, dwelling with him. And without that, we're lost. Nothing is right in our lives. Everything's off kilter. We're dead spiritually. Our lives are out of whack and out of step with the universe, which is God's universe, every inch of it, every bit of it, everything that we partake of, every blessing that we have, every bit of food that we eat, the air that we breathe, the space we occupy, it is all his, and we are living off of it. And we owe him everything. We owe him our thanks and our praise and the sincere love of our hearts. And we're robbing him wickedly if we don't bow down and acknowledge him and submit to him as our Lord and our King and our Master. And we are his. He made us. We're not our own. And so he deserves our loyalty and our love and his goodness and his grace and love toward us make that all the more important that we give ourselves to him. He sent his son to show his amazing undeserved love for us by dying on the cross while we were still yet his enemies. So to put our faith in his son, to deal with our sins, to give us that right relationship with him, that is only fitting, it is only right, and it is, again, the only way for us to be right with this great and glorious creator. And his work of creation is what the writer's highlighting here in verse 3. He says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 
By faith, we understand these things. The universe, the things in it, and its beginning, these things cannot be explained or accounted for rightly without reference to the Creator. And only by faith do we understand that there is a Creator. Only by faith do we understand the nature of this universe and this world that we live in and any, any individual part of it. We can only understand those things rightly when we understand that He has made them all. Those first four words of verse 3 are important. By faith, we understand. By faith, we understand. It's not the other way around. We don't look around at all the facts and the details of this world, all the created things, and then somehow that just um, wonderfully gives us insight and we become um, uh, wise unto salvation and those things lead us to, to right thinking and to faith in God. It doesn't really work that way. It's the opposite. Faith comes first. And then we come to a right understanding of the world and the things around us. We begin to realize that it's all God's. He made it all. It belongs to him. And the evidence is, is all right there, though, for God. Everywhere you look, all things are God's handiwork. His fingerprints are everywhere. Psalm 19.1 puts it beautifully. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Everywhere you look, it's His handiwork. Everywhere you look, uh, the universe and everything in it is preaching its maker, proclaiming He has made us. We are His. But looking at the bare evidence alone is not going to lead a spiritually dead person to understand it rightly or to understand that God is the maker of it all. You won't get that from looking at um, a redwood tree or the, the beautiful sky. The dead unbeliever can look at those things and will stay dead and he will misunderstand the world and its origins, unless God does something very special to intervene. He has to do the work of grace to lead that individual to faith, faith in his son. Apart from that, apart from that working of God's spirit, man will go wrong in his thinking and will stay wrong in his thinking. He'll misinterpret the evidence. He may love the world and the things in it, so many people do, it'll come to wrong conclusions about it. And that's because he's spiritually dead. And he's at war with God. And because of that, he hates God. That's the state of every natural man, every unregenerate sinner. And so, do not think that anyone in that condition is neutral and looking at the evidence. He's not morally neutral. No man is in his thinking and the way he looks at things. 
he is most definitely not neutral. He is on one side. He's in rebellion. and He's bent against God. He's on the side of the evil one, the God of this world. That is the state of fallen man, every one. Sinful man definitely does not want to acknowledge that the world is all God's handiwork. He wants anything but that. He refuses to acknowledge that. He does not want the true God. He does not want to bow down to him or have to serve him. He wants to turn away from the truth of the creator. And so he'll come to uh, one wrong conclusion or another. He'll adopt one philosophy or another, maybe atheism or some other uh, wrong conclusion, some other heresy about the origins of all things. There are plenty of different ones and whatever suits a person's fancy, as long as it denies the true God, the God of the Bible. He's not interested in knowing, serving, or giving thanks to that God. He desperately is trying with all his might to suppress the knowledge of the true God, and he will continue to do that, and he will continue to set up false gods to worship, some created thing, some non-God, and he'll do that until God intervenes. That's what the darkened, sinful mind of man does, apart from God powerfully intervening, creating faith, creating a new heart, taking that heart of stone and making it a heart of flesh, implanting new life in the soul by the word of God and the spirit of God working with the word. God has to create that faith in us, or we just won't have it. You have no innate ability to believe in the true God and his son. You won't do it unless the spirit regenerates you. It is only through his working that you come to faith. And it is only by faith, as the writer says here, that we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Today, many people claim to be atheists. Of course, that's been the case for a long time. It's a worldview that tries to completely exclude God And these days, uh, this view usually tries to explain the universe and its origins with the Big Bang. A great massive explosion uh, of dense matter that is posited as the beginning of all things. It doesn't really explain things, though. It doesn't explain where did that matter come from. Or maybe it came from nothing. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the universe, does it? Nothing comes from nothing. It had to come from something. Maybe it was always just there then. It doesn't really explain anything either. It's not really a beginning if it was always there. Nor does it adequately explain what caused this big bang, this explosion that caused the universe to begin expanding the way we see it doing now. It had to have been ignited by something. 
something in that matter that seems supposedly to have come from nothing or from who knows where. This is just not a strong view at all. It's just pure speculation. The Christian, on the other hand, finds the answer for the origin of all things, not in speculating, but in believing the word of God. It tells us the universe was created by the word of God, not out of things that are visible. It did have a beginning. There was a time when it was not. There was a time when all that existed was this glorious creator. He made this creation. It began when he spoke it into existence, as we read this morning. He formed it out of nothing by his word, by his powerful word. And this should cause us to praise him and to thank him. This wonderful God, the whole world, the universe, and all that there is, all the glorious things in this creation, when we look upon them and we think about them, that should elicit praise and thanksgiving to God. We should be in awe of God whenever we look at any creature. If you look around at each other or um, you look at your house pet, for example. We should be praising the Lord. And don't just let your eyes fall upon that thing, that created thing, but let it lift your eyes to heaven. To praise the Lord. Who made that thing? God deserves praise and glory forever and ever. We should all be rejoicing whenever we look at those things that he made. You can't even look at, your, um, at anything. You can't open your eyes without seeing hundreds of things that you should praise God for. Every single thing. There's nothing excluded from that. God deserves glory for all that he's made. I, I would suggest that you, you start an, a new habit if you don't do it yet. Start an active habit of taking time daily to praise and thank God. Thank him for the things that he's made. I was talking about uh, that to some of you and uh, how, um, how helpful that is. Uh, to do that, it's, it's, it's good for you to give thanks and praise to the Lord. Maybe you're out in your yard and you, uh, you love watching the birds uh, or the flowers or um, a green lizard uh, running along the top of your fence. Uh, I was out this week and saw baby lizards, the tiniest little baby green animal lizards. Amazing to see those tiny things. I saved a, a full-grown one from our cat in the garage a couple months ago, and I wondered, man, maybe those babies came from that, that one that I pulled out of baby's mouth. Baby's the cat. Or the bats at night. Go out at night. The, the clouds in the sky at night as the sun's setting are so beautiful. And then, of course, you see the swallows, and then the bats come out. It's a glorious thing. And then uh, the 
sun goes down altogether and you have the constellations, the moon, or just the rain coming down. These are praiseworthy things. It's so rare. You, you really should praise the Lord for the rain and, and ask for more of it, please. Giving thanks to God and praise to him for these, the things that he's made is, is so right. It's so fitting. We were made for this. Something's wrong with us if we're not doing it. We're not going to, I think personally, I don't feel good when I'm not remembering to give thanks to God. I feel much better. Uh, I think we're thinking better. We're, we're doing something that is right and appropriate and necessary when we're remembering to give thanks to God. Discipline yourself to do that. Make a habit of it. It'll bless your heart. It will bless your mind. They say gratitude is proven to uh, improve your mental health uh, in, in many ways. So, so uh, practice it. But don't just be grateful um, in, a, in a general way. Make it personal. Remember, it's the God of the Bible that we're grateful to. The creator. He's your God. He's your maker. And he's your redeemer. He's the lover of your soul, moreover. And he certainly deserves all your thanks and praise. And the failure to give thanks to God is really at the heart of man's sin. You should think of Romans 1. Romans 1, 20 to 23. There Paul says, God's invisible attributes... His eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Man is without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They see, they know God, and they rebel against that knowledge. And something happens in their minds. They become darkened. Calvin comments on verse 21 there in Romans 1. He says, There is no one who is not indebted to God for countless benefits. Yea, even on this account alone, because he has been pleased to reveal himself to us. Kevin's saying, yeah, We've got countless blessings in the creation, all these wonderful creative things that God provides for us. So many blessings in this life, they all come from God. We should be thanking and praising Him for them. But this one thing above all, God reveals Himself to us through the things He's made. Paul says His power is made known. His divine nature is made known. It's seen by all. They get it. They know God. But they turn away from that knowledge. They reject him. And they worship created things instead. When anyone turns away from God, when anyone turns away from Christ, they're turning to idolatry. 
They're going to end up worshiping something. They're going to worship created things instead. And this is treason. Monstrous treason against the true God to whom we owe everything. And that deserves hell. And here's the thing, we would all be doing that. The very same thing. We'd be doing it right up to now. You would be doing that. You would be denying the Creator too. If not for His intervening, overcoming your rebellion, raising your dead soul to new life in Christ, enabling you to believe in Him with living faith, enabling you to trust in His Son. Kent Hughes gives a have a fun illustration of how unbelieving science and the unbelieving mind misses the mark and gets focused on the creation itself and denies the creator. Hughes writes of the piano mice. A group of piano mice lived all their lives in a large piano music of the instrument came to them in their piano world. They heard it, filling all the dark spaces of the piano with sound and harmony. At first, the mice were impressed by it. They took comfort and wonder from the thought that there was someone who made that music though that someone was invisible to them. There was someone above and yet close to them. They loved to think of the great player whom they could not see. And one day, one daring mouse climbed up part of the piano and returned, very thoughtful. He told the others that he had found out how the music was made. Wires were the secret. Tightly stretched wires of different lengths that vibrated. And now, this mouse said, they must revise all their old beliefs. None but the most conservative could any longer believe in the unseen player. It was just wires making all that beautiful music. Later, another explorer, Mouse, carried the explanation even further. Hammers were now the secret. Great numbers of hammers in the piano that danced and leaped on the wires. This was a more complicated theory, but it all went to show that they lived in a purely mechanical world the unseen player came to be thought of as just a myth, even though the pianist continued to play beautiful music that filled their world. For the believer, 
Hughes writes, those who know the pianist, it's also clear. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. We know that God simply spoke the word, spoke the universe rather, into existence by his word. And we know that because his spirit has brought that faith in our hearts. The psalmist says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. But there's no way around it. We need the new birth to be granted to us from above in order to have living, saving faith. Otherwise, we'd all be just like those piano mice. Jesus said, you must be born again. Otherwise, you cannot see the kingdom of God. It is a work of God's grace to grant that spiritual life and that gift of faith to sinners. He has to do it. And yet we are called to seek it We are called to ask and seek and knock. If that faith has not been born in you yet, seek it. Ask the Lord. Ask him even now to grant it to you. And if you're already a believer, you need to keep asking him to to sustain your faith and to strengthen your faith and give you a persevering faith. Of course, that's what the writer of Hebrews is all about here. He wants his people reading these words to have a persevering faith to the end. And you must exercise your faith. We need to actively trust in the Lord. Trust in Jesus as your Savior. Trust in him to provide for you the forgiveness of your sins. Don't just think about it or think about it for other people or talk about faith. You need to actively trust in the Savior and continue to trust in him. And when you're tried and tested, you're going through trials, you need to live by faith. Sometimes I think you just need to get alone, go somewhere quiet, and pray, and actively put your trust afresh in the Lord. Trust in Him for grace to sustain you. Trust in Him for all your needs, whatever they may be. And don't just pray and ask for what you need, but actively trust in Him to provide those things. Trust in your unseen God, the maker of all things, and the one who supplies all that you need. You have to exercise your body to get stronger, as we talked about previously. You want to grow in endurance, you have to get moving and do the exercise that will 
give you that endurance. It's the same with your faith. We are called to persevere in faith. Yet the only way to get the strength to persevere in a life like this, a life of trials and afflictions, even persecution, you need to exercise your faith in God regularly. Trust in him, rely upon him, depend on him. You can't see him, but he's holding out his hand to you always. He's always ready to help you, eager to hear from you, eager for you to take hold of him by faith, take hold of his word, his promises. He's eager for you to cast your burdens on him right in the midst of those trials and storms of life. Trust in people and he will show himself to be trustworthy. He will show himself to be faithful. And give thanks. Give thanks. That's an act of faith. Give thanks to this wonderful God who loves us, and above all things, he gave us his son to reconcile us, to draw us into this life of living union and communion with him. We are so blessed to be his beloved people through faith in his beloved son. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. You are such a great God, such a good, loving God. You are altogether faithful. We are so weak in our faith, Lord. We pray that you would grant faith to those who are in need of it and strengthen the faith of all of us. Our lives will be lived out according to our faith or lack of it. Our peace, our comfort, our assurance of your love, uh, the fruit of your spirit, peace, patience, kindness, love for others, all these things. We won't, we won't have these things and grow in these things, these good things, unless you grant us the faith that we need, faith to know you, faith to trust you day by day, faith to live by. So we pray that you'd grant this gift to us, Lord, and by it give us a closer walk with you, you who are our perfectly faithful God and King. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.